0: Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Justin Broker Podcast. I am Graydon Square. I have here your host, the man of the hour, the head of the table, Justin Broker. What's
1: up, brother? Hey, what's up, Graydon? How are you doing, brother? Man, I'm trying to be like you. How about you? Hey, I'm doing great. Just a lot of good things in the motion right now. Let me tell you something.
0: You might be the busiest person I know.
1: (laughs) I know a lot of busy people, but
0: from the moment that I open my eyes in the morning, I can assume already that you're out there in the world getting after it, right? Every time I hit you up in the morning, you're like, yeah, man, I'm already at the gym. I, I, I'm already out here, I'm closing this deal. I'm like, bro, it's 8.30 in the morning, you're closing deals. How do you have the energy to, to, to keep moving and grooving like this? At some point there's gotta be burnout, right?
1: I would say that um, my faith and uh, refueling myself mentally and emotionally, I do meditate a lot. And I do spend a lot of time just uh, gathering my thoughts. And at night I try to, uh, you know, I do actually read the Bible at night and I do uh, with my family and we do uh, Bible study. And so that also, you know, God gives me that strength. Jesus gives me that strength to revitalize. And on top of that, like the gym does revitalize me as well. I'm sure you go to the gym too, that's how I met you. So you every workout too. Absolutely. And I tell people all the time, like, if
0: I didn't go to the gym every day, or I, I didn't kind of have that routine, uh, I don't know if my, my body would be wrecked. It'd probably take a while for my body to kind of slip, but my mind would be wrecked. Yeah. So I can only imagine what it does for your mind. Yeah. So yesterday, we had a busy day yesterday. Um, you showed uh, two properties to me, and we also did some filming. So I want to get into that first of all. Uh, th- let me do some uh, house cleaning, actually. Uh, last week, we had a guest, um, Matt Beans, who came through, told us uh, you know, his story and everything. Um, we're going to keep getting guests. There's no guests this week, obviously, but we're going to work on getting interesting guests who are from the, the field of real estate, people that Justin is connected to, people that he may have done a deal with or helped along the way, and we're going to get their perspectives as well. So no guests this week, but, you know, Justin is a man of, of a lot of information, so we're going to get it out of him today. So the first thing I want to ask you about as far as yesterday was, had you ever done any filming before, like actually on camera, high quality filming?
1: <laughs> uh no i was uh actually the only time i've been fi- actually no i have been filmed i did a peak potentials millionaire mind yeah. seminar for a weekend in palm springs back in like 2011 um but yeah it's been probably 10 years since i've been on uh in front on stage and done like as far as being filmed and stuff like that but i have been i've had experience doing it speaking yeah. in front of thousands of people yeah it was but pretty- not in a while
0: well, it was pretty dope to see you because I will say this. You know, I, I told you this a little bit before the podcast, but you know, I, I've been on camera, I've been in a few, you know, small things, and I've never really had the nerves in that way. I, I kind of believe in going headfirst into the suck. So no matter what my anxiety level is of being filmed, like I really don't care. But you don't really <laughs> notice that around people unless you're around people that they have that attitude. So. Let me tell you what I I noticed about you, and then you can kind of go into what you you think about what happened. But normally when I am involved in filming people, uh, they are very nervous, right? They they don't really understand how to be calm, how to alleviate the anxiety, and how to really communicate clearly what they want to communicate. Because, you know, they think, oh, I got multiple takes, you can do it. Mm -hmm. You got on there, literally first take, you're like, all right, just let me know when I'm ready. I'll give you the signal and I give you the old director's three, two, one. Boom, switch goes on. You're Justin Broker, the salesman. You're Justin Broker, the realtor. You're Justin Broker, the mogul. And it's like it, not saying that you have to turn it on, but I knew that you knew that you were on camera. So go ahead and talk about that because I'm interested to hear your mindset and what was going through your mind right before and then while you were doing it and then obviously after when we talked about it.
1: So I would say that, um, you know, I think, I think that's a good question. For me, I think anytime you go and you're being filmed, you know, it's, it's almost you have a tendency to act differently. You know, and I feel like a lot of people, you know, if you have a camera out, you're not doing anything. You know, people act differently than if they're not being filmed or whatever. So for me, um, I just pretended nobody was there. You know, that's what I did. I was like, okay, there's nobody here filming me. It's just me talking. Um, I kind of pretended I was, uh, you know, talking to my, my lady, you know what I mean, or talking to a friend about the house. I didn't really think of it like, oh, it's me on camera. This could be seen by thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, potentially. I didn't really think about that. Um, all I really did was like, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to explain about the house, right? Because there's a lot of things that were unique about this flip we're doing. Um, And we did two different houses, so one is like an addition, big plan. One is like a home that's, you know, had fire damage that we're fixing um, a lot of work on. So I kind of just went into my normal thing and just did my thing and didn't really think he was there and knew he was there but didn't think about it.
0: You almost treated him as if he was a potential buyer and, and you were essentially talking to the person behind the lens who was the intended buyer. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, so I, I feel like the, you know, with the property that we're, we're talking about, um, which obviously we'll have the video be posted. Hopefully we'll be able to connect the podcast with this videos. But when I was in the moment, you know, it's just something that, it, it's something that just clicks. Like something just kind of clicks, comes together where you just, you're being watched, you're being filmed, but at the same time, you know that if you look at the camera like and not and pretend like you're to actually really think the camera's there kind of screws you up it does so i had to kind of like pretend that he wasn't there and so my the entire time i'm doing it i'm just like okay i'm just going to talk to this it it, almost like i'm talking to people about like you said like i'm doing a walkthrough right you know
0: and and it's interesting because you know, we we tried to follow you throughout the house as you gave a tour and how you explained things, and a lot of the things that you were explaining, I think most people wouldn't think to ask. But because of your experience level in real estate, you knew to explain to them, hey, you know, this fire damage that you see right here, we're going to come in, we're going to gut this part, we're going to actually, you know, work on this, we're going to make sure that we retile, refloor, re, you know, pump everything that you wiring. were talking about, rewiring everything that you were talking about. Yeah. It was almost as if, hey, you may not be familiar with all, t- with all the terms. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that yet. I'm going to show you as if I would show a prospective buyer.
1: Sure. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like we, in you know, our society, there's not really a lot of detail that goes into when you watch a flip show or you watch a reality show, you don't really get a lot of detail, you know? Um, you just see guys working. They tell you what they're going to do. That's it. Um, you know, for me... I want people to see the real raw like this is flipping and not everything is as it seems some houses are going to have hidden things you know you could buy a house and there could be fire damage in the attic you didn't see it you didn't know about it Uh, unless you got up there or you had someone you know you paid to get up there um a lot of houses that are off market or you're buying from sellers they don't always tell you everything um so it's good to kind of have like you know that's why bringing up a home inspector like they can show you stuff or a good contractor Um, can show you stuff that's in the house. But as an investor, you know, as a new investor, let's say, you're going to have to kind of walk properties and really – and kind of, I hate to say this, but you kind of have to be really picky, you know, and really get into the intimately like, okay, what's up with the panel? What's up with the electrical panel? You know, what's the situation with the wiring? What's the situation with the plumbing? Do you want to have the plumbing tested? Now, if you don't –
0: if you aren't aware because of your level of experience, right, if you Mm -hmm. walk through a house, you're a new – Uh, investor right Mm -hmm. and you don't have the experience of walking let's say 30 houses in the last year Mm -hmm.
1: how would you know do you bring along your own contractor so or your own inspector so for me i've been in the business a long time so i can catch stuff but even me i'll miss stuff so it's always good to have um somebody that you know if you're if you have an electrical question bring an electrician who's licensed if you have a plumbing question get a licensed plumber um if you have an ac question ask a licensed ac guy i always say licensed guys are better they Yes, you pay a little bit more for them, but at the same time, you have that warranty. So if when you go to resell the property and something goes on, you could tell that buyer, hey, this was unlicensed, here's the receipt, here's everything, so it's a fine line. Like I try to use license, guys, for my plumbing, my electrical, my AC. When it comes to drywall, paint, tile, I try to use guys I know that are good work, but not everybody who does cosmetic work is licensed, be license. and, and that's okay. Like you don't have to have a licensed guy, but just know that it's a good good rule of thumb. If you're gonna hire a drywall guy, go see his work. You know, if he's a good drywall guy, he's probably got a lot of jobs right now. If he's like, hey, I, I can start tomorrow, that's probably a bad sign. You mm-hmm. know, right now most of our guys that we hire on the regular will put us like a week or two out, but and this is for Arizona, but a lot of states are like this too. Um, I know we're doing deals in Alabama, Arkansas, where you know, guys are three <coughs> weeks out, two weeks out, a month out. Um, so it's a good rule of thumb to, uh, to use licensed guys, especially with those things. So we get into these homes and you're talking
0: about bringing inspectors in to spot the things and to cover your blind spots, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How do you know to find the right inspector for the job? How do you know where
1: to look? How do you know what qualifications to look for so we live in a world of internet right so a good rule of thumb is you can google home inspectors for your city and you can google it and you'll find 20 or 10 or five of them and then you look at their ratings if they got ratings at two or three (laughs) or three and a half probably not good Mm -hmm. if they got ratings four and a half 4.6 4.9 and everybody's saying they're good give them a call you know if you call them and say hey i'm an investor i want to have a home inspection done a lot of those people they know about those. Just be aware that a lot of houses that we buy, they don't have utilities on. So you're kind of buying them as is. So you would have to kind of take, you'd have to work with the person you're buying it from. If you buy directly from a seller, yeah, you can leave the utilities on do an inspection. But if you buy it from a wholesaler or somebody else, you, you would probably have to work out something to see it. Um, a good rule of thumb is it depends on the deal you're doing. If you're buying something off the MLS, you can do an inspection. If you're buying something from a seller, you can do an inspection. When you're actually buying from a you know a wholesaler, it's gonna be a lot harder because they're just looking to sell it. They don't let you do all that stuff. You kind of can walk it, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little quicker. And in those situations, it's a good idea to have a contractor come with you, not a home inspector. Mm-hmm. But if you're buying, so it depends on where you're buying it at.
0: So the contractors are gonna be, be the ones actually doing the work, while the inspector is gonna be the one that's gonna have you
1: basically let you know what it needs. They're to the gonna a red flag. Things that you can, that, you know, they're gonna red flag, hey, the roof's old, looks like the roof's bad. They're gonna red flag, looks like the AC's a 2005. It probably lifetime of an AC right now is 15 to 20 years. You know, warranty's out on it. And that's specific in Arizona? Or it's pretty much every, it? AC, okay. every company. Yeah, ACs are kind of a generic thing. Okay.
0: Um, well, I, I, the reason why I asked that is because, man, if I'm in, you know, if I live in Arizona, I'm pumping that AC a lot more than anybody who's living in California or Oregon,
1: you know? So, yeah, you might get more use out of it. Yeah. In Arizona, yeah, we're hot. So, you know, you're going to have your ACs. Yes, that's true. They're going to go out quicker. Um, that's why it's good to service it in AC. We service them like every year. We recool them. We change, you know, obviously change out your filters. It all comes down to how you take care of it, just like a car. If you don't get oil changes, your car, don't matter if it's brand new or not, ain't gonna last that long. So you gotta you gotta service your stuff more than like if you don't use it that much, of course.
0: Okay, so we've talked about inspectors, we've talked about contractors coming in to actually do the work. N- now I'm interested in kind of the, the the guts of it, which is the wiring, the plumbing. Do you mm-hmm. call out a specialist? Do you go within your network? Do you contact the contractor and say, hey, do you know a guy who specializes in this? What do you do
1: for specialized work? So most general contractors can hire subcontractors and most, sub, most general contractors have all the guys. So they'll have the electrician, they'll have the plumber, they'll have an AC contact. Now, obviously, like anything, if you guys want, let's say you're looking for in your area, like a really good, fair, affordable, priced AC guy or electrician for plumbing or whatever, best thing to do, like I, like I say, is to go to, to meet other investors. Like if you see a prop, go to an investor meetup group. Facebook's add, you know, you could add yourself to a group online and they can tell you, oh, we're a lot of, there's a lot of investors out there that share information, you know? So getting on a group in your local city, in your local state is great. Talking to those people, getting more information out of them. It is really trial and error. Like we call, we still to this day call 20 different companies sometimes to find three that we like, you know? And if we're in a new state and we're starting to buy homes in a new state, it's good to start with, you have to find all new contacts. How do we find our contacts? Word of mouth. You know, realtors know people, loan officers know people, um, calling contractors, they might know somebody, some contractors know. I've called contractors like, hey, man, I can't do this job, but I know somebody that would do this job, you know? So you just you just have to kind of spend time, you know, networking, and eventually you'll find out if that contractor and those numbers on the job make sense to your budget. It's just trial and error, but you have to, in order to be successful, you have to kind of learn your market. So it's good to shadow somebody like shadow an investor or shadow a flipper for the first deal. I wouldn't expect somebody to go out on their first job and just, you know, expect to kill it. I would say the best thing to do is to find someone who's already doing it and shadow them.
0: Yeah, and, and just so people know, that shadowing is going to be a lot of work, mm-hmm. a lot of note-taking, a lot of you doing your own research. Um, if you're shadowing someone who has experience doing this, don't expect them to, uh, you know, spoon-feed you. You have to show a level of initiative and a level of hunger because that's what this industry, uh, that's what this particular area requires you to do. You talk about the numbers. And mm-hmm. when you're dealing with contractors mm-hmm. and inspectors and stuff, this stuff goes into your your repair cost, right? So yeah, most people understand they're working with a repair budget. If they're buying a, a listing they're buying a property, it's going to take a certain amount of money to go into it to make it sellable, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about cost per square foot. How to shave off certain, you know, costs, cost per square foot. Um, what your assessment in goes into as far as what you're looking for in what something is valued based on the square footage of the listing.
1: So with me, it's a little different. So for me, I'm I'm essentially it depends on what city I'm buying in. You know, if I'm buying in Arizona um, and I'm buying in Phoenix, I have a set number of what we typically pay we don't really go off square foot. We go off of what do we typically pay our laborers to do a whole house? So like in Phoenix, we have guys that we've worked with for years that we know, okay, they're gonna charge probably $40,000 in labor to do this house, like do everything. And then the AC is gonna be $7,000. And then the electrical is gonna be six. We, based on our experience, we can we can guess those numbers really close um, because we have experience doing it. If you're brand new, you definitely have to have some, like again, Going in and trying to bid out a job, never doing it before, I highly just dis- don't recommend. I recommend people to before you buy that property, either team up, partner with somebody so you can learn that way, because it's you learn that way. Um, painting, for instance, it could be a dollar a foot, it could be five dollars a foot. Just depends on are they providing material. Are they just doing labor? Are they providing the paper? Are they plotting tape? Are they plastic? Is there drywall repairs? Are they doing popcorn removal? Are they texturing the ceilings? Are they retexturing? that? So when someone says, okay, what's painting? You have to kind of know like, well, what is actually the detail on the job? Because if it's just, hey, we just want to paint the house, great. But if you just paint the house and it's not drywalled and textured properly, it's going to look bad. So it's good to know exactly what you're asking for. Um, tile, tile could be, two dollars a foot labor could be five six eight dollars a foot depends on what you're putting in so we have a standard tile we put in and we have a standard price we pay um but that's something you have to learn with your guy like hey if i buy this tile what would you charge for this tile oh i'm four bucks a foot okay cool now i know he's four bucks a foot the house is 1600 feet you got to deduct for carpet you're gonna need people to help you you're gonna need to measure that house you're gonna need to measure those bedrooms that's stuff you have to do. You have to be willing to get in there and measure the property. If you have doorknobs, you know, a lot of people go on Amazon to buy doorknobs. You know, um, a lot of people go to Home Depot, Lowe's. But you have to, in order to price out a house properly, you. I would recommend heavily that you have, an in, you have a contractor who's investor-friendly, who knows this stuff, because for me to sit there and tell you guys every little thing, it's going to be hours and hours and hours.
0: Absolutely. So... You don't necessarily do it by by square foot. You do it by whole listing project and you basically have a working relationship that you've already established particular costs and certain things of, of repair work. But then the question then goes into material cost. Sure. So when you're doing a material cost assessment, what goes into that?
1: So for for typically for us, we're at a point where we don't even do that anymore. Um, I don't even handle the projects really anymore. I have guys who work for me that do all that. So for me, I would recommend that in material costs, it's going to be all over the board, you know, depending on what you buy. So if you go in and buy tile at five bucks a square foot versus a dollar, because there's tile for a dollar and there's tile for $5. If you go and buy the most expensive tile, you may not get any money back. So for my recommendation is look at your comps right? Look at your comparable properties. So if you're comping your property and there's a home that's sold down the street for 350,000, you bought this house for 200 and they have a really nice tile that you see at flooring decor and it's three bucks a foot. Well, there you go. Go off that. But if you go in there and you're like, Hey, the tile they use is 50 cents a foot at Home Depot clearance. There you go. Um, but it's good. A good rule of thumb this is what I'll tell you it helps me a lot. I look at other properties so when i compare other comps i look at what they did and then i price it out based on what they did
0: and you can pretty much look at the work that was done
1: and, yeah. and, and i know assume. what it costs okay what it costs okay. i know exactly what it costs the only things you're not going to know are like if there's electrical issues in your house plumbing issues um you'll know if the roof is good obviously because you can look at a roof and say hey that roof it looks really good you can always get a roofer out there i mean once you've done a couple roofs you can look at a roof and go That roof sucks, or that roof's good. Um, When you, ACs, real easy. You know, eventually when you know your stuff, you can go look on the roof and go, that AC looks like a 1995. How do you know that? It's beat up. You know, a new AC is gonna look a lot nicer. You know, you're gonna tell a new AC by just how clean it looks. You know, it's not gonna have paint chips and, you know, dents and all that. And an old AC, you're gonna tell. And if you can't tell, you're stupid. Like, you know, you probably shouldn't be in the business. The only things that are really, really you have to like, Really hire somebody to really know is underground plumbing. You got to have a camera. You got to inspect it. So definitely hire people to run your camera lines. That will save you thousands and thousands of dollars. And on electrical, build a relationship with an electrician. You know, eventually you'll learn. You'll. It doesn't take rock science to know, like, something's bad. If you buy a house and the electrical panels, you know, if you go outside and the electrical panel's old and it's got tube, you know, the little tube wiring, like, you can look it up you know, that's an older panel. If it's got new breakers and you should be able to tell like, what's a 200 internet panel. You can Google 200 internet panel, 100 net panel, 150 net panel. You should learn like what I always tell people is learn as much as you can about it because eventually if you want to be competitive and you want to buy houses, you got to be able to run through that house and know what it's going to cost without calling anybody eventually. So for me, I don't call contractors anymore. I know what it costs. And then I always leave a thing for contingency. Like I always leave like a 10, 20% contingency. So I say, hey, my budget's 60, but hey, worst case, I'm, I got 75K here for this house. Um, the worst thing you could do is say I got a budget of 50 and you got 30 grand in the bank and you're trying to figure out a way to come up with 20. Don't ever do that. Either you buy the house and have the money or you don't buy the house. Like don't put yourself in those situations. And if you need a partner, somebody to come in and, and back your remodel costs because you buy the house and they remodel it, Make sure you, you know, work out a deal and have a contract. But don't ever think the rehab is gonna cost exactly what you think. It's always either gonna be more, most likely it's gonna be more than what you originally think. But buy the home with enough of a juice, a spread, you know, equity to cover that. So if you think you're gonna make 60 grand and your rehab goes up 14 grand, now you're only gonna make 44. That's a hell of a lot better than your your estimated profit was 20 you have 14k coming you know coming down you're at 6 grand well that means you're probably going to lose money cuz you don't have enough room to cover anything if it takes longer to sell longer holding costs you're going to be screwed
0: that's
1: game that's game y'all um so you're
0: looking at all of these these costs and you're making these cost assessments, and now you have contractors coming in. They're working on the listing. They're working on the property. You're checking in. How often are you coming in to check the
1: progress of your your team's work?
0: <laughs> I know I'm not trying to throw nobody's team under the bus, so I do apologize.
1: Okay, so I'm Type A. I, I would assume everybody should know that by now, but I am the kind of person that I'm I'm kind of nuts. I mean, I'll go to the house six seven times, but if It depends on where it's located, right? So if it's out of state, obviously I can't go look at it. I can just ask for pictures and updates. If I'm local and I'm like, so I got houses 10 minutes from me, 15 minutes from me, I'm going to go see those a lot more. But if I got a house, you know, an hour from me, I probably only see it twice, three times. So I got houses in Tucson I've seen like twice, you know? Um, So I guess it would depend on, you know, where they're at. So there are times where you don't physically see the house and you're still doing the deal. It's still making money. Yeah, I did a deal right now, I'm making 80 grand on it. I never saw it never physically walked it, never saw it, just pictures. And
0: and, and so the diligence that someone would have to do in looking at, uh, let's say, a property physically would have to be magnified, let's say, even double, and have people on the ground in that location for you to do that deal without actually being there to verify it yourself.
1: So virtual flipping is hard. Um, It's definitely harder. It's not impossible, but it's harder because you're – you're relying on everybody's words, so you got to make sure you find people that are trustworthy. Um, I always think it's a wise decision to have two or three different people that are not related. So I like to have a realtor separated from the contractor, separated from the, you know, um, let's say a handyman or somebody. So what we try to do, I give you an description. So virtually, it's a different game. So what we do is, if we're buying homes out of state. One, we want to have a real estate agent that knows that area, so we want to be able to get comps from them um, to buy it if we're going to buy it. The second thing is we wanna make sure that we have a contractor walk the property and give us an estimate. Lastly, we wanna make sure we have relationships with vendors already set up so we can buy all of our materials because we typically buy from Lowe's. Um, We have, there's Lowe's almost every city that we do flips in. So if we need to buy everything, you pretty much buy everything for a house at Lowe's if you needed to, okay? So you're paying a little bit more money for it, but we have a thing called a Pro Rewards contractor account and we get 20 to 30% off. Nice. So we're able to save, you know. So if we're spending twenty five grand, let's say for everything in the house, or thirty grand, we're saving six to eight grand on the material. So that's a great um, way to go if you don't know people or you're in another state and you just don't want to dig with it. But again, like contractors can tell you, hey, go get all this from Lowe's. But hey, I know a great place to get vanities. I know a great place to get flooring cheaper than Lowe's. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's. Sh- we found that it. We found that you'll save a little bit of money shopping around. But we found that lows through their contractor accounts are pretty solid, you know, for most stuff. Yeah. That's pretty
0: incredible. So you have your contractors, you have your inspectors, now you've gotten the material, you've done the walkthrough yourself, you're coming in. If you have a type A personality, you're probably coming in at least once a week to make sure guys (laughs) guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing. What are you looking for to make sure that the work is done correctly? What do you when you're passing through a house and you're like, this is a checkup. I need to look at the floors. Okay, tiling looks good. What does that mean? This looks good. That looks good.
1: So, realistically, the only way you're going to know that is if you've seen a good-looking house. You know, I wouldn't – I can't really give you – you know, I would say there are things you can look for. Like, if you look at drywall and there's bumps on the drywall, you know what I mean? Or it's not smooth and you paint on it and you can – if you can see issues with the texture – that's a problem. So if you paint and the texture's all messed up, that's a good indicator the drywall is bad. If someone paints and does a bad job, and we've seen a bad paint job where they have different colors, and some painters try to cheapen the paint, like water the paint down and paint, you'll know like, oh man, that doesn't look like the same color, or you try to touch it up and it doesn't match up. So it's a really good indicator to kind of like, just check, look with your eyes. If it looks good to you, and it looks like a house that you've seen that's nice, then the paint drywall is good. Tile, a good, way, a good rule of thumb is it shouldn't be if you lay the tile and you start seeing one tile way higher than the other tile, it's like not even and not level, that's a problem, right? Um, carpet, it's pretty easy. <laughs> like right. I haven't really seen too many people screw up carpet. Uh, baseboard can be screwed up, too many cuts. So you want to make sure they measure it right because you can tell baseboard was done wrong when they have like three cuts on an, a corner. You're like, why is there three cuts? So that's something you look for. Um, cabinets, you know, um, if they're not level, you can tell. The doors will be off. You know, the open and closed, shut on themselves. Like, that's a good indicator. Yeah. Granite, if granite goes in and granite's off kilter, like it's not level, you mm-hmm. can put a leveler. And a good rule of thumb is put a leveler on tile. Put a leveler. Get a leveler. It's like 20 bucks. Put it on Put it on the floor. Put it on the cabinets, you know, the countertops. Probably have one level. on your phone. Yeah, 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 you can level. You can check that out. That's going to help you. Um, if you turn on a ceiling fan and it's shaking, you know what I mean? You know that that wasn't installed properly. If you turn on a plumbing faucet and it's spraying out, you know, not properly, and it's you know then turn it off. Um, you should know a uh, good rule of thumb too is have a thing to turn off water, like a main little spigot thing. Um, I recommend buy those, like fifteen bucks. Carry it with you. That way, if there is a if you show up and there's water something going on, you can turn it off without having to wait for the city to come out there hours later and your house is flooded. Mm. So that's good rule of thumb. If you have an electrical thing that's happening, flip off the main panel. And you've had to turn off water. hundred percent. Oh my god, getting flooded. You want to talk about that real quick?
0: The flooding. <laughs> I mean, we can, we can finish this up because yeah, this is, is fascinating.
1: Yeah. 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 So I've had a house where I've gotten phone calls <clears throat> all different times a day and, you know, water's coming out of my front door, water's coming out the back door. Um, the crazy thing about water is it doesn't take much for the water just to pop. You know, like if you have an old angle stop or an old supply line, um, these are things that are under your sink. Um, it doesn't take much, you know, it could be a pressure hits and then it, it water starts leaking. Um, it could be installed improperly, you know, it could be a brand new one, but it was, you know, maybe the guy, when he was putting it in, he cranked it too hard and over-tightened it. And then it just slowly, um, you know, caused issues. Uh, it could be anything, but we've had houses where like literally the bathtub, the toilet were flooding out of the bathroom. Usually it's bathrooms and kitchen sinks. Those are like the main ones. If it's outside, you know, we've had irrigation that was done wrong and it's just pouring water in the street. Luckily, if that's not going to screw your house up, but you know, the, it's still not good you're gonna, right. you're gonna have a fat water bill um, we've had pools leak we've bought pools and remodeled pools mm-hmm. and there's a slab leak in the pool and the water our bill's like $800 for the water for a month and we find out because it's been leaking in city of Mesa or city of Gilbert they don't tell you that until you get the bill and then you so, confront them about it and you're like yo I don't know what this is about and then you find out that it was you had a leak uh, and then it's on you because they don't it's not their fault right wow That's pretty crazy. So uh, yeah, definitely make sure you're
0: covering your your leaks. And there's something else too, I find interesting about plumbing, which might not be applicable for a lot of people, but um, talk to people about the difference
1: between a
0: septic property and a normal plumbing property that's connected to the city. Sewer, yeah.
1: So a sewer, so if the property's on sewer, you're dealing with the city, right? You're dealing with the, the city every city has different fees they charge for sewer lines, but they have a lot of companies that have insurance. Now they provide insurance for like, I just saw one the other day, $600 for the year to cover your mainland. So the city covers the water. Typically you got to ask your local city, but typically in our city and where we, where I've done a lot of deals, it's the main from the street, right? So the street from the street to your house, that's on you, right? But from the city in that's on the city. Okay. So if you have a, a house that's like your main line is leaking underground, it's cast iron and the plumbing went bad. Um, usually to rip that up. It can be costly. Five to seven to $8,000. That's why there's a lot of companies now offering like insurance, like 500 bucks a year. If it goes bad, they'll cover it. Right. Mm. Um, I always say like, they don't usually go bad for 30 to 40 years. So if you have a newer home, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But if you have an older property, let's say 1980s or older, probably a good idea to have your water lines checked. I would say like, they say like 20, 30 years it goes bad. So let's say like 1990 or something like that. Check your line. If your line's good, you can run a camera test. Usually it's a couple hundred bucks, two to three hundred bucks in some places. Some worth places it. might charge you more. Totally worth it. Um, check it out. See if your line's good. If your line needs work, if your line is prepared, it's better to know now. Yeah, so pretty much what uh, a lot of people, when it comes to these houses and the, and the plumbing, it's always better to just know right off the bat if you have problems with the property or, with underground plumbing, because you're going to save yourself 6, 8, 10, 15 grand to not have to deal with that later. So that's the whole purpose of it, is just to have preventative maintenance, just like termites, just like underground plumbing, electrical, any issue ever you with your house is always good to know ahead of time. Yeah.
0: So my question to you then comes to certification, right? So you got somebody looking at your plumbing, you got someone looking at uh, house damage and stuff like that but are the people who are coming to actually look at these problems, are these certified people? Is there some education you need to falsify to make sure that they are legitimately qualified to work on a problem that you can't work on?
1: So yeah, most of the companies that we use, I, I have uh, got my VP, Adam, which he's gonna get on the show uh, rather soon, but he basically qualifies them. So what he does is he asks the right questions, he sees that they're licensed or they're insured. Usually, word of mouth, you know, I, I love, Google because you can Google somebody you look at their reviews and if that company has a really high review you're probably okay if they have no reviews or very little that's probably not a good sign because any company that's doing leaks or, or underground plumbing leaks or inspections, something like that should have a lot of customers because they're doing it on a daily mm. so
0: most of these people you're actually working with they have a history so you can check their work online um, usually they have some sort of referral. Someone will refer them like, hey, I know this guy who's actually good at this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But let's say you are a first-time flipper. and You don't have a network of people that are certified. Do you just have to kind of go through Google and look for the, the cost, most cost-effective way for you to invest in this property? What's a good way of building that network of contractors that you may not actually have?
1: That's a great question. So uh, right now, with social media so big the way it is, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Um, I ask friends of mine, people I know for referrals. And if they don't, usually people have referrals. And if they don't have a referral for something like that, then that's obviously where you go out to your warm market. You know, you hit up other investors, other flippers, other people doing the business. Um, Real estate agents can know people. Um, Loan officers know people. Uh, Title companies know people, you know? Um, So just asking around is a good way before you actually go to Google. Now, if you ask around and you don't find anybody, Google's great you know get on Google ask the right questions you can find company ratings and hit people up and you can find a lot of about a company online after you Google them at the same time like it's a really good idea to always go back and ask yourself you know what exactly are you looking for so it's just a quick inspection these companies typically they're, they are licensed, you know, and they are bonded and they are insured. But if you find somebody who's done it, who has a great job and they're not licensed or insured, then you just know you're taking more of a risk, you I know? I was
0: gonna ask you that because what are the risks of doing or dealing with unlicensed people as, a, as it relates to your accountability if something goes wrong?
1: So a lot of people don't realize this, but a lot of contractors, general you know, contractors hire unlicensed people all the time. Um, so so
0: you're, I'm sorry, I don't mean to but you're yeah. a licensed contractor yeah. will hire unlicensed people.
1: Yes. A lot. Yeah, a lot. Um, Reason being is usually that that contractor insures those people, you know, so if they're working on the property and there's a problem, that contractor has insurance and and stuff. But a lot of subs, like give me an example, my concrete guy, he's not licensed. He does million-dollar jobs for people. He's not licensed. The contractor covers that. Now, obviously, get into a lot of things. Like, are you more liable as a contractor with a guy that's unlicensed? Of course, unless you know them, you have a relationship with them. Um, A lot of framers are not licensed. If you go look around town all over Arizona, you'll see a lot of framing guys they are not licensed framing companies. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of them are subbed. So you have to kind of like what I always tell people is like same thing with a plumber. (laughs) A plumber goes to your house. He's not licensed, but he's licensed by the plumbing company, Mm -hmm. right? So you want to be careful on what, you know, what you think and what you say, because really all a license does is make sure if something bad happens, they cover it to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I always try to tell people is I say it's good to have licensed people. It's good to hire a licensed plumbing company. It's good to hire a licensed electrician. It's good to hire a licensed AC guy. At the same time, if the company's been around a long time, then obviously your warranty's probably better. But if the company's only been around three years, how are they going to warranty your roof for 30 years? How are they going to warranty yours for 15? And they can go out of business and you're not covered. So people don't realize that. The benefit, though, (laughs) is if they do your roof, the benefit is that if they do your roof and they're licensed, they're giving you a warranty. They're saying it's warranty work. Just because someone's licensed, and I've used licensed contractors that are worse than unlicensed contractors.
0: And they're going to charge you more because of that piece of paper.
1: They charge a lot more and they're not always better. But at the same time, some people need that peace of mind like, hey, I have my roof done by a licensed person right, right, right. and that helps them. You know what I mean? So I always think it's a really good idea to check and get references because If you hire an unlicensed roofer but he's done 300 roofs for people you know or, you know, you've seen the work he's done and it's good or he works for a licensed company but he does side work, there's a lot of people that do drywall for a licensed company Monday through Friday and then on the weekends they go work for other people. That's very common. And they're way cheaper because they'll come into your house instead of, you know, three, four, five hundred, a thousand, five, ten thousand dollars to do a job, they might be like a third of the price because they're not trying to pay for all the overhead, all the employees, all this stuff. So it's not necessarily a bad idea to hire a licensed company, but I want you to, if you're a flipper, I want you to be smart and be like, okay, if I can hire, if my budget is thirty thousand dollars and if I hire a licensed contractor, at 60 grand to do this house. How am I gonna do this for 30? Maybe you can't. OK, but maybe you can. And that's the question It comes down to not just the license or unlicensed, but it comes down to where are you buying your materials? What are you buying? Um, materials can affect your job just as much. Labor can affect your job just as much. But also quality control. You know, if you don't have the materials, the proper materials they need on the right time, that can also slow your job down.
0: Right. And, and there is that aspect, because I know we're, we're towards the end of the house renovation project side of it, because sure. I want to go into kind of the the steps after you, you've you done your final renovation piece. Sure. But I do know now in an age of post-COVID and material costs skyrocketing and material shortages and stuff, uh, how do you deal with that when you're saying, listen, I'm a real estate investor, I'm a flipper, whether materials are slow or not, whether it's hard to get materials and I'm still gonna make this happen. So what are some of the ways in a material um, demand shortage Supply chain, supply chain shortage, right? That yeah. Correct me. What are you doing? What are your actions? What's your strategy in that that particular situation?
1: Well, I'll give you a perfect example. So there's a shortage on pavers right now, and so instead of pavers, we went with concrete, right? So subbing it out is a good idea. Um, if you're if you're in a position where there's just no material for that particular situation, um, let's say for instance you want to buy cabinets, and the cabinets you want are back ordered twelve weeks. There's stock cabinets at Lowe's and Home Depot that you can buy off the shelf, but you're going to have to be a little bit more creative with your house. Um, let's say you wanted to get tile. Let's say you go to freaking, I don't know, Flooring Decor or some company or Lowe's or Home Depot, and you find out that they don't have the tile you want. There's some other tile there, right? There's other options. It's just, is that the one you want to go with? Mm-hmm. Maybe you got to shop around a little bit more. Um, carpet hasn't been a problem. Carpet's been coming through, no issues. You know, plumbing fixtures, you know, you might have to pay a little bit more money for something if you can't order ahead. But a good rule of thumb is 99% of the stuff that we put in a flip is available. The stuff that's the issue, the shortages, what we're talking about, usually you don't see as a flipper. Now, I know some people tell me, like, I had a guy recently, and this is another thing people are doing. They're using the pandemic still when it's complete bullshit. Like, I was told the other day, there's no garage doors, okay? There's shortage, there's too many, and there's not enough garage doors. Okay, I called another garage door company. The guy's like, yeah, we just kind of like say that to get more money. Mm. So there's you could legitimately see people using the pandemic to their benefit um, and pretty much lying to the consumer, um, you and me. And so I think it's a wise decision to ask more than one company, not just call yeah. one company and hear, oh, we don't have any of those. Because I, I was told the same thing with papers. Another company goes, we have them tomorrow. You can get them tomorrow. So it's like, okay, well, I heard this other place said 12 weeks. Why are you tomorrow? And they go, well, we have a bigger factory, okay? So you don't really know it's true. Same thing with ACs. I was told there's no ACs, okay? Um, That's not true. There just might not be train units. Maybe there's Goodmans. Maybe there's Yorks. Maybe there's other brands. But So you got to be careful with believing what you hear. Sometimes it's complete. BS. I was told by a pool company. This is a licensed bonding company. I was told that um there's no problem getting pools done. It's just there's so much demand. I was told by another company they can't get material. So what's true? Is it both are true? You know, or did this other company buy a lot more, stock up on more bulk? Maybe they have a bigger yard. You don't know, but at the end of the day, you just gotta look. If you are in this situation and you're hearing this on it, just keep pushing through yeah. and you'll find somebody
0: and get that second opinion like justin's talking about because ultimately or third or, fourth, third or fourth or fourth. fifth because somebody i mean we've had first. like
1: 10 yeah we've had 10 we had to call 10 pool companies in mesa to get a pool company out there but we found one you know um the first three companies just told adam like we're too busy you know we don't have enough time they didn't say they couldn't get it they didn't say they didn't have material they just said we're too busy mm-hmm. so it's a fine line like are you too busy is that what it is, or is it because of the pandemic? Don't lie to people, and I feel like that's something that people use during this pandemic is fear tactic. Like, oh, there's not enough. Like, there's not enough, and that that lack of supply, you know, that's just what they did with Xbox. And I don't know if you know this, but Xbox and places. I try to get an Xbox. Oh, we don't have. We're not making enough parts. I'm making enough. This. It's no, no. You guys are purposely doing this to the market to create a demand that's a false demand. Um, But that's what a lot of companies do. And unfortunately, the ones that are legitimately dealing with legitimate shortages, we don't believe them. Like, I'm at a point now where I don't believe people anymore. So I'm like, okay, well, if you tell me that, I don't believe you. So I'm going to go somewhere else. We were told Windows are going to take 12 weeks. We go to another place. They said, oh, well, you can order on – and Adam will tell you guys on the show. They were like, well, if you ordered it on an urgent demand for an extra $200, you can have it in two weeks. It's like, okay, well – so you do what happened to all the other people? So all the other people got fucked, basically? Yeah. Like, they're going to have to wait on their windows? That's like going to a concert, and they're like, well, hey, you can listen to music way better up front, but you got to pay $30,000 for this ticket. But you can live. You can be way in the back. It's a 1000 bucks. So if you got the money. So I think that's what they're using is, like, a fear tactic, charging more money than they should, um, all these reasons to capitalize. And a lot of people are like, well, they didn't have work. And a lot of people are like, well, small businesses didn't have any work for six months. That's a bullshit lie, too. They didn't shut down pool companies people chose not to go to work people chose not to go to work there's a lot of construction companies that were building homes during the pandemic okay so people say oh they couldn't go to work it's unsafe it's unsafe they can't go to work they can't go to work i think that was more of a choice i think it's more of a mentality than it was the government pushing you down because yeah the government closed restaurants but he didn't stop people from going to the work to paint a house they didn't stop people from going to work to frame up a house that's all
0: how close in proximity do you got to be to paint a house. I mean, you get your boys on the other side, you're on
1: one side. I mean, yeah, it, you know, in construction, like, you didn't really <laughs> see that much of a slowdown in it, and you hear people say that, you know, stuff completely stopped. It was not really that com- stuff completely stopped. People were still remodeling homes during the pandemic, but it was um, – it was the the material places. So it wasn't actual workers doing the work on the houses. It was the places that were making the wood, making the tile. Those are the places that got shut down, um, where there was an abundance of people there. But there was still a lot of material still there. It's just, again, it's easy to always say it's a pandemic, it's the pandemic, it's the pandemic. For sure. It's always an easy, it's an easy cop-out.
0: So we've essentially gone through the entire walkthrough of a particular property. We've started you know, from the outside. And remember, we started this whole conversation with you doing a walkthrough on video,
1: right? And
0: so you've gotten all the way through this process. Mm -hmm. You're towards the end. I remember we talked about earlier the amount of walkthroughs that you would actually do, right? Mm -hmm. How many times are you actually gonna walk through a particular property? So let's say this is now the third or the fourth. It's what, six weeks, eight weeks in. You're finishing up the, the project. The renovation is actually being finished up. What are you looking for that denotes completion? What are you looking for on the property that says, okay, this, this property is almost ready to be relisted?
1: So the final walkthrough is a really good question, Gray. And So the final walkthrough typically is gonna happen, like let's say a week before you're about to go live, week, week, and a half. Um, what you're looking for on the final walkthrough is punch list items. So paint touch-ups, drywall touch-ups, um, baseboard that could be chipped or not. Um, you're looking at cabinets that are you know, all trimmed out, like everything looks perfect. Um, you're looking at granite is the granite you know looking good or is there chips or cracks in it are there um, when you walk in the house do you see is a tile chipped is there any tile chips is there any issues there um you know along with cleanliness so like what i tell a lot of people to do is do a construction clean right mm-hmm. where they walk through and they, they don't deep clean it yet because you don't you're gonna have footprints and touch-ups but they go in there and they do like uh get all the stuff away the big stuff like boxes and sawdust and you know drywall paint yeah demo stuff that's all around (laughs) the house they they take all of that out so that way you can actually see stuff because if you have you know boxes on the walls and this and that it's hard to see so you walk each room with a usually with blue tape and you tag the walls if you see issues normally a, a normal house probably has 30 to 40 tags just to be honest. Now, a good painter, drywall guy, can knock all that out in like a day. Wow. So you'll tag it all, the guy's like, I'll be done tomorrow, you know, I'll get all this done. And then you might, if you have, a, usually the granite's okay, you usually don't have granite issues. You usually don't have cabinet issues, but if you do, you know, they can adjust them and fix it. Most stuff can get fixed in a couple of days, even 30, 40 items. Then once all of that's done, you walk it again, um, with your, you either have you or your project manager walk it at that point, because if you're if you're hands on like me, you might do it with, with, the, contract, with the project manager. I catch more stuff than my project manager just to be honest cuz I am type A super attention to detail. Um, again, not most people don't catch what I catch, right? Or they don't think it's a big of a deal. So I'm very nitpicky and I know a lot of flippers and investors out there probably will agree with me that you can hire people to do stuff, but at the end of the day like you're the one who owns the business, so you're going to probably be your own, you know, on it more than someone else, right? At the same time, you have great guys. I have great guys. But at the same time, like, they don't see what I see. But I've been doing this for way longer than most of them, okay? The other aspect of it is once it's all been walked, once it's all been signed, you got to have it cleaned, a deep clean. So that's windows. That's floor. I mean, if you don't clean that property, like, with a cleaning company, to the nines, like, that thing's perfect, you're going to have a lot more issues selling it because people like clean. Go sell a car. Go get in a dirty car. Go get in a clean car. What are you going to buy? Clean car. There you go. Um the next thing that I always tell people is to stage it. Um staging the house, it could be a light stage, you know, bathroom's kitchen, it could be full stage, every room. Um what do you mean to stage. So you t- you make it feel like home. You you basically put couches in it, beds in it, um stuff that goes in the kitchen, just things to make it look That's like smart. a home. That's smart. Right? And then after all that you take photos. They take professional photos, walkthroughs, videos, virtual walkthroughs, Matterhorns. Like, there's all these different things you can use. A Matterhorn is like, you can do drone photos. Matterhorn is basically you can walk through the whole house full, full a whole house virtually, right? So with COVID, that was a big one. People love being able to see a house, walk the home virtually. Especially if they're coming from California or New York or Texas or Florida, wherever they're coming from, they could see the whole house without actually being there. They can make an offer without being in it, right? Wow. That was that was going on a lot pre-pandemic like right after the pandemic
0: that's pretty crazy so now you've walked through you yourself have given it the okay your project manager um you know you've cleared it by him and whatever needs to be done whether it's 30 or 40 tags you catch that right yep so now you're into the moment of truth house has been staged you're taking pictures you're getting ready to list it yep the first question before the actual listing is how much does the neighborhood affect your new realist price? How much do you take that? Like, cause you comped it before mm-hmm. when you when you purchased it, right? Cause sure. you knew you were gonna put renovation into it. Mm-hmm. But now you're finished, and you look at it, and then you look next to you know the Joe Blow neighbor's house, and you're like, mm, his house doesn't even look as good as the. I just fixed this up, right? Yeah. But whose value weighs out when you're listing? If he lists his for two twenty nine. And you buy you you put twenty thousand or thirty thousand of, of renovation in there, and you want to list for let's say two forty. Is it the neighborhood that judges that, or is it your value that you put in that will bring everybody up?
1: So you're talking about how to how to estimate an appraisal, so to speak, without being an appraiser. Uh, yeah, I guess how I to, come up, with, yeah, how to <laughs> come up with how to come up with appraisal. Um, so there's a lot of factors. So it goes in. That's all that probably could be a whole day, mm. a whole podcast okay. on how to come up with value um the simplest the simplest answer is within a half mile radius so you pull houses within a half mile radius and you compare apples to apples now if you don't find a home that's similar to yours i mean if you're in a big city you'll find similar remodels but if you're not then that's where you might need a real estate agent to to comp it for you Um, that might mean where you need to order an appraisal if you really don't know um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like people, I think to order an appraisal, depending on where you are at, it could be $550 to $800. But it's better to pay that than to underlist it right. or overlist it, right? Um, but typically, I go off of what the market is going on. I go off of what the highest remodeled home is in that half-mile radius because that's what I made my home. And sometimes my home is better than all of those. Again, even if you realist it, it, you know, let's just say you list at $500,000 and the neighborhood's at four. You might get six hundred appraisal because your home could be bigger. Your home could be more ba- bedroom bathrooms. Your home could have an extra garage. Your that's home amazing. could, your home could have a beautiful pool, beautiful spa. Like you could have all these things, and people are like, "Well, that's worth hundred grand more." Yeah, to the right buyer, it is. I'll tell you right now. Like, what's the difference between you buying a ten million dollar house and a million dollar house? Well, ten million dollar house is probably night and day compared to a million dollar house. Why would you pay nine million more? That neighborhood might be a million dollar neighborhood million two three million. you build a ten million dollar house. Now that's considered functional like obsolescence where you went way too big like doesn't make sense. but some millionaires don't give a shit. They'll build right. their house as badass as they want. Mm-hmm. Um, watch MTV cribs or watch these different shows. you'll have a house you know a mile away, but it's decked out right Um so sometimes there are houses like that's nice people live in a house like, like when I grew up in San Diego, there was a neighborhood called Santa Retro Santa Fe. In Rancho Santa Fe, every home was badass. Like everything was like multi, multi million dollar home. Everything was just unreal. Um, and everybody's home was badass. But you could have one home list for six million and one home for three million. Well, same neighborhood. So that's where you have to have like, and that's exactly what you do. You hire the professional, you get an appraisal done on those kind of homes. If you're dealing with a typical track home, like, You know, they built 300 of them in your neighborhood. It's about the same. If you're dealing with a home that was built in the 70s, 80s, 90s without, you know, without an HOA, like kind of like different tracks, like one home's 1,300, one home's 2,000, they're going to give you not as good of a value. You know, if you have 2,000 square feet and fourteen hundred square feet, and it depends on the city you're in. Depends on the area. So appraisals are weird, man. I I don't like appraisers. To be completely honest with you, I think they fucking suck. And <laughs> and any appraiser out there will know you guys suck. Most <laughs> of you guys undervalue the property as a, you know, as flippers. Usually they came in low. Um, lately, the last couple of years, our market's been on an upswing, so you haven't seen it as much. But I mean, Adam and me flipped the house, and we had an appraisal. No joke, four sixty two sold it for five forty. Okay, so who the hell comes in eighty eight thousand less? The offer was 540. Is there okay. some
0: incentive for an appraiser to undervalue the the property? I mean, is, is that a thing?
1: You know, I don't think, according to their lingo, and I've asked them, they're like, this is their professional response. We value it based on the current market today, close comps. Okay, so let's just say hypothetically, let me give you an example. Market's hot two months, the home's going up 15% a month right now in Phoenix. Like Maricopa County homes are going up 10 to 15% a month. Like we've seen that kind of appreciation, okay? So if appraiser sees a house pending at five, but it's not closed yet, but there's a close sale at 462, but in 30 days it went up 40 grand, they're not gonna give you that 40 grand. Mm. They're gonna wait till that closes. But But then my response to them is, well, how the hell do you get the market to go up if you're always appraising it shitty? See what I mean? There has to be some appraisers who actually pushed the value up based on an upswing? So that's again, I've been in this game for since 2005, and I can straight up tell you that ever since the crash happened, so this is more prevalent from like 09 to 2021, for the last 11, 12 years, we've seen way more appraisal issues than we ever saw before. But a lot of that is because of the Frank Thought Act, and that's something we can get into another show too. Absolutely. But there's a lot of reasons why the appraisals for homes have had more issues and more problems since then than they should. Um, the government was trying to protect homeowners in, in their mentality, but we all know how the government works, yeah. right? <laughs> government trying to protect you it doesn't always benefit you. So it essentially made an appraiser's job harder because now they could risk getting fired or be sued or be liable for if the home forecloses and stuff like that. So. Again, they have to look at things black and white, no shades of gray. They can't they, and that's what I've been told. So ultimately, like it comes down to either cash buyers come in and they and cash buyers raise values, or there, you know, there are differences between conventional FHA and VA loans. VA and FHA are obviously more horrible appraisals. The VAs have a thing called tidewater, which means if the appraisal doesn't come in, uh if it's not gonna come in, they give you a chance to send you more comps, but you already sent them comps, but they're trying to see if they can value. Normally tidewater is you never get the value. And with FHA, um, here's another fun fact. So, let's say you buy a house for $250, you sell it for 500 If you sell it for more than the value of the property, double more than the value, you have to have two appraisals. Okay? so
0: that law? FHA. Oh, man. So,
1: there's a lot of other things <laughs> that we can get into that in the future. We can get into all the different rules and laws and what they do to affect you and your pocketbook. But right now, the simple answer is hire a professional to comment for you.
0: And I noticed something... Uh... Interesting about you. That's very consistent which is your hands on type a personality. You will get your hands dirty You will show up to a site do what needs to be done. Yep. Yeah. but you will also recognize. I'm not a professional in this area Yeah, and you will hey, I need to hire a guy. I need to invest in that um, Before we get to the actual listing and we close up the show Can you talk about that awareness of knowing like hey? I'm gonna need a guy for this some people I'm assuming will try to take it into their own hands like, Well, maybe we can we can know you might actually need a guy for
1: that. Can you talk about that? So it's so that's the difference between me and my partner. So Adam, my partner Adam, is more of I'll try to do it myself or figure it out, um, you know, or I'll 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 try to save money. Um and and then sometimes he'll just be like, I'm gonna hire somebody. It just depends on the situation. My mentality is the question is, can we afford it in the budget to hire somebody, right? So if we're hiring somebody out, right, and we're paying $3,000 more, is that going to affect our bottom line? Usually most inspections are $300, $200, $500. They're not crazy; They ain't going to break the bank in a, in, a house, in a house flip. But where it can break the bank is where you get the wrong information. You get told by a professional, oh, you're going to have to just take this whole house down and redo everything. And we've heard stories like that, and we're like, no, nah, Then we've heard a second. So I always t- say... Be cautious on who you're getting information from. Even professionals can lie or exaggerate or freak you out. Um, a lot of realtors on this podcast who will listen to me can also agree that home inspectors are like Nazis. They'll bring up stuff that doesn't really matter or they'll tell you something is done wrong. And I've had several times where they told me an AC isn't doing or isn't properly done right. And I have a licensed guy that's like it's done right. I have another licensed guy that says it's done right. And yet he's saying it's wrong. And I've had to argue with home inspectors and argue with realtors and their buyers sometimes, not all the time, because of things that were missaid by a home inspector. Because they're not, just to be clear, home inspection companies are licensed, but they also disclose they are not contractors. And they do not know engineering. And they are not educated in that stuff. They know how to check normal stuff like you have a dishwasher that's leaking. You have a faucet that's leaking. You're missing roof tiles over here your water heater is, is dripping, you know? They see the obvious stuff, okay? They'll they'll check the, they'll scan and go, oh, the AC is blowing at 45 degrees. They'll do that stuff. But they are not 100% the electrician. Like, you my electrician, um, shout out to my guy, Bryce. He's awesome, okay? He'll show people, he'll go, this is how cool my electrician is. He'll be like, let me meet your clients at the house. And he'll, and actually, he'll, he'll, he'll actually, actually show the them board? the licensed work and, the, the, and everything, and tell them, look, I'm warranted for five years. So if you have something that happens, I'm going to come fix it. And then it, he calms a lot of buyers down, right, in that situation, if they're worried about that. Nine out of 10, is ten, he doesn't have to do that. But you always get those weird home inspectors that are, like, that are wrong. You know, not all of them. I'm not going to say all of them because that's also being a discredit to myself. But that's that's a lot of them. Not all of them, not most of them, but a lot of home inspectors are, they're just worried that they're going to get sued. You know, mm-hmm. that you move in the house and something goes wrong and they're like, Well, I had a home inspection tell me this and now you Yeah, that's what they're worried about. And it says right in there, I'm not a licensed contractor. I'm not warranting this job. I'm not it says right now, if you read their disclosure statement, uh, but no one reads those. And when is the last time you read an Apple one?
0: Oh was you, I, just yeah,
1: I just signed it. I just signed it. It's okay. Yeah, you I mean, think about it, right? That was the big joke, right? Most people just sign these agreements. You, you they could say, like, we're gonna have your third born yep. and you'd be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, we are, as a society, we're so impatient. I, I myself am impatient. You know, I could be at a drive-thru, and if it's taken too damn long, I'm like, F this drive through I'm out, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to be here.
0: Well, how many people are comfortable reading through contracts or legal agreements or appraisal, you know, reports or something? I couldn't am- Look, if you You're not living and that's what you do, you know, bless you. But it's like, listen, man.
1: You're not competent, though. That's what people don't realize is, like, we're not competent. Okay, I have an attorney that reviews my stuff. I'm blessed enough to have the money to do that. But if you're not blessed enough to have the money for an attorney, best rule of thumb is you know, hire somebody. You know what I mean? And you say, like, well, my realtor is my professional. Not all realtors are out there to freaking help you. A lot of them are, but there's always snakes in the grass, mm-hmm. just like loan officers. There's a lot of loan officers out there that are great. Take care of their clients. Shout out to my boy Andy. Shout out to my boy John. They're loan officers. They're awesome. Okay. But before I had them. I had some horror stories, okay? Loans not closing on time. Deals falling out. And just think about it. You're a realtor, right? And you live off commission. And you hear, this loan isn't going to close. And maybe that was 15 grand commission. And you ain't going to get that 15 grand. And now you got to pay your bills and your family get your, you know, stuff. And that deal fell through. You think you're going to use that loan officer again?
0: No, I'm not. You're done. Yeah, we're done. It's over, yeah. right? Because so if it's a time, kills, <laughs> I remember one time you told me you were like, you know, time will kill a deal. You know, you have a deal on the table and- the amount of time it takes you to close that and make that an actual deal, it'll kill
1: the deal. I mean, most realtors work three months to get paid once. Just think about that for a second. Most real estate agents, and most of them can come out. I can have my boy Timmy on the show. Um, numerous other agents, I know Brooke and, and numerous other people I, I, I can name off. Most agents are paycheck to paycheck, okay? That means that they don't have enough Money, most of them, to cover a, a couple deals that don't go through. Okay. So, and I think that's for most people mm. that we're like a couple paychecks away from being broke. Right. So, it's very important, in my opinion, to work with professionals that actually value you as a consumer, as a customer, and treat you with respect. And if there's a l- problem with that loan, tell us. Don't wait till closing table. When the docs are on the table, the people are ready to buy the house and the, yeah, the lo- no, the loan's not going to go through because of some, I, oh, I didn't get his pay stubs or, oh, you know, you should know that within the first five days. You should be pre-approving these people. You shouldn't be. The only thing that could deal a fall, deal should be able to fall through is if that buyer went out and bought like a car the day before close, that, well, that is his fault. That's the buyer's fault. That's not the loan officer's fault. But if, if you're that buyer, then you're, you know. Ignorant. You shouldn't be going and buying a bunch of purchases until after you buy the home. Any realtor should teach you that. Like, don't buy anything for your house until you move in. Wow. Right? Yeah. But-
0: That's something that people don't hear, though. No. Like, the average person, first-time buyer, they've never heard that statement. No, so probably not. A lot not. of people listening to this now are going to hear that for the first time. They're like, oh, I'm glad he said that.
1: You know, another another thing <laughs> is a home is a better investment than a car. You know, if you're if you're somebody that doesn't own a home yet, you rent, and you have a nice car, you know, that's, if that's you, what your prerogative is, cool, but you're losing out on wealth. You know, wealth, people who are wealthy have a home. You know, if you own a home and you rent something, but you, you know, live, I mean, my buddy Michael and his girl Nicole, they just bought a $1.5 million house, okay? And he told me, he's like, yeah, we rented, but we hated renting. It was like dumping cash away. And he's a real estate investor and he's renting. And he goes, I'm dumping money away. But he wanted to find the perfect home and finally found it, you know, but it took him a while. So he rented for like a year. If you're in those situations, I mean, this guy is a multimillionaire, so he's not really broke, doesn't have to worry about four grand. He was paying $4,500 a month for a townhome in North Scottsdale. Um, Now his mortgage, I think is like four grand a month, but he has the house he wants, you know, and he's paying it down.
0: On a $1.45 million home. Yeah,
1: I think he put like 20% down. So yeah, 1.2, it's like 4,500, four grand, 4,500, some of that.
0: Mm. Okay, okay. So now we're at the end game, right? We've done everything we need to do. We've done our due diligence. We've had everybody from the the properly licensed contractors. We've done the walkthrough several times. We've had the project manager come through. Now we've had the appraisal come through because we don't really know that much. We're not experienced. Now it's time to relist. (laughs) Now it's time to get this off of our hands into uh, an actual buyer. Can you walk me through the steps of the end game?
1: So yeah, so basically the what it works is that the home gets pictures, goes in the market, Typically, if it's priced well, it's gonna get calls. You're gonna get showings. Realtors are gonna walk through it. You're gonna get feedback. Feedback, usually, if it's a good listing, you're gonna get offers within the first weekend, especially in this market um, where I'm at. And in a hot market, you're gonna get offers within a couple days. If you don't have offers within, let's say, the first week, it's either price or the house doesn't look good, okay? Or both, or maybe there's a problem. Maybe you gotta go back to that property and find out, oh, the pool went green, you know? Or, oh, it's dirty in here. Or the pool, you know, that believe it or not, that can happen. Like, a pool can go green in a week. And or two weeks, and you could have an issue. So, I always say it's best if you're not getting offers, like in the first couple of days and getting good feedback, go to the property. It could, we've had issues where they smell, it stinks in there. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had houses that were so dirty that it smelled like cat pee. So, we had to call a professional and pay like $400 to come and have a guy spray the whole house and get rid of that smell. Brand new remodel house, but it smells I like, like still pee. smells like cat pee or cigarette smoke. So, it's a really good idea, even if you do primers and kills on the walls, which is a certain type of paint, it can still keep. And then we can get an episode all on just cat pee and urine and different smells and smoke, and we can go to an episode on that alone. I would love that So, but it is a good idea. So the home goes on the market. If it's typically good, you're gonna get an offer. You're gonna get multiple offers. You're gonna send out a multiple counter offer. Okay. If you're if you have a realtor, if you are a realtor, you are, have a realtor, you know what it is, you know what an MCO is multiple counter offer. You send out to the agents, you're gonna get highest and best. Then it's gonna go into escrow typically there's gonna be an inspection period. In this market, we've seen a lot of inspection period waived. Um, then there's gonna be an appraisal. Why,
0: why would they do that, just out of
1: curiosity? To be competitive, to get their offer accepted fast. Mm-hmm. They're not even gonna inspect the property, which is a good and bad thing. I mean, it's good in the sense, if you know that guy used licensed contractors and did good work. Um, my reputation's pretty solid. So we've had people waive inspections with us, and if there is a problem, like they move in and there's a problem, like, and we warrantied it, yeah. we've gone back. Yeah, 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 we've gone back and taken care of it. So typically you're okay with remodeled homes, right? Um, typically, not all the time. And then the other one is you waive it, but you still do one. So I see a lot of people, they waive it, they're gonna put up hard money, like five, ten thousand $10,000 earnest money towards their down payment, but they'll waive it because they'll still do one, but they wanna get their offer accepted. So I guess if they walk, they lose five grand, but they're willing to do that. I haven't had somebody walk from five grand or 10 grand before. Even if they find a
0: situation to be able to walk in five grand.
1: Yeah. Or an inspection, but yeah, they don't do that. And then after inspection, after appraisal, you're going to have a call from the title company or escrow company or a real estate office, lawyer office, because I've done deals in all three. And they're going to say, here, sign all the docs. So you're going to go in or you're going to get a notary, a mobile notary can come to your house, sign you, or you're going to go to the title company, you sign everything. Now, after that, it's going to go back to the lender. They're going to get the package. They're going to say, okay, got everything. It looks good. Fund it. They wire money to the title company, the title company then, everything makes sure everything's good again they double check everything and then they record uh sheree and you know Ka- uh, carrie know a lot about that and they'll get on the show too, talk about title escrow but basically that's the beautiful thing is and then it records um recording is basically what happens at the county recorder in your local city in your local county so Maricopa county has a county recorder P- pima county tucson has a tucson recorder pinal county which is in casa Grande, you know Queen Creek has his own recorder so every every county has their own recording office it gets recorded, it gets on file, it's e-signed, and then basically, that's it. You get you get your house, so, get your keys. Uh,
0: and then when you, when do, does, does the person who bought the house when you get their deed?
1: So if they got a loan, <laughs> the deed is recorded at the county recorder. Um, typically, Arizona, typically right now is all e. So even with vehicles, we don't have titles anymore. It's just recorded that you don't have a lien on title. You know what I mean? Um, if you wanna pay for one, you can. If you paid cash for it, you can get a deed. Uh, but most people just have them recorded and document it and wow. keep a copy. Yeah. Okay. It's all virtual now. So
0: then once they're they're in the clear, the money, as you're, you're the flipper, obviously. I get paid. Get your account, And that usually happens within the wire transfer. So I account.
1: usually get, so once it, no, I get, if it records on Monday, I get paid probably Tuesday. If it records on Monday morning and they, and they can get wires out by 2, because 2 o'clock is wire cut off time for Arizona, we would get paid, you know, that day. If it records at like 5 o'clock. Uh, you know, like the last, when I say five o'clock, I mean, the county recorders like they close at five, but they close, they might've had 3000 files they had to record that day. So they're going to they might send out those confirmations, but usually title companies will tell you, okay, I'm going to send the money the next day. Usually the next day I can get money anywhere from nine o'clock in the morning, all the way to two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. It's, it's all it comes down to the federal wire department at that point.
0: Well, i tell you what, that is a, uh, a fantastic and fascinating path. <laughs> trail from the moment we walked into a property you just bought you're starting to renovate it you see what it needs you're making this list of, of uh, an item list of all the things all the work it needs and we walk through the entire process from start to finish we even talk about when you're walking through and you're coming back to check is there any final notes that you want to give to people in this process i know there are so many things we talked about in this episode that we can have a whole episode on yeah I'm glad we're doing a lot of the generalizing stuff now. But is there anything else? You 100%. There's a
1: few things that I was just thinking about yeah. while you were talking. I was like, okay. So the other thing is utilities, right? So you got to make sure you turn off your water and your power. Or if the new buyer or gas, you know, m- trash, um, definitely when you close escrow, you want to make sure that stuff is transferred to the new buyer. Um, so either you turn it off or you make sure that realtor turns, you know, transfers it. But definitely call the utility company and make sure that a new buyer transferred in their name they can't the utility companies are private they can just tell you it's not in your name anymore so that's pretty much what you want to make sure okay so if
0: it isn't transferred though they the, the people who move it in can't turn it on
1: no no so they can turn it on if you have they can call and say i just bought this house show the 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 their settlement statement because they get a copy of their settlement statement and that's what the title that's what the utility companies want they want to see your settlement statement okay, okay. um it used to be called the hud now it's called a settlement statement um, and if they get a copy of that, the utility company will switch it over in their name because obviously it's in their name now. Okay. But it's just a good rule of thumb to contact your utility companies. The other one is insurance. Well, if you're a flipper, you had insurance on it, so make sure you cancel insurance so you're not paying. Because I've had situations where eight months later they didn't cancel me, and I'm paying insurance for eight months, oh, wow. and I paid out like three, two, three grand. And luckily, I'll have an email saying I canceled it. And they'll just credit back the money, but man, you know, good rule. You didn't look, yeah, or don't, or you have a shady company that's not willing to do that for you. So definitely make sure you cancel insurance. the The last thing is make sure that if you have if you paid cash for the house, you got all your cash back. But if you had a hard money loan or a loan on the property, make sure you look at their accounting. They didn't screw you on money too, because I've had a lot of situations where like there's a refund due. You know, they they usually overcollect and they cut you a refund check. And it could be seven, eight hundred dollars, but that's money that, you know, you you should call and make sure that you don't have and look at that. So that's another thing. And lastly, um, you know, if you had a grass cutter, somebody cutting the grass, you know, doing the landscaping and the pool company, make sure you tell them, hey, it's sold now. Here's a new buyer's name and number. If you want to use, you know, work with them, get their business or during the transaction, see if they want to switch it over. Because A lot of people forget like, oh, I'm paying this pool guy 140 bucks a month. And I, he's been doing the pool. I had a guy doing the pool for four months that Adam and me forgot to cancel. Well,
0: he was on your team. He's just, oh, yeah. You're not going to tell you. He's not going to tell us. <laughs> oh, man. So
1: make sure the, the pool company, the landscape company, they all know any service company, utility company, insurance company, all these other parties are notified in writing. Either, you know, text them or email them.
0: Now, there's one party that we didn't, this, this will be the last topic before we wrap up. There's one party we didn't really mention, I don't think too much, which was the HOA. Now, if you're, Redoing this in the HOA, and I know that's a whole different conversation. What, However, that could be a whole other. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any dealing you deal in this process? Is there any dealings you have with an HOA while you're working, or is that factor into how when an appraiser can come, or you know the equipment you have on site or anything like that? What's the deal with you
1: that? Miss, you missed another one. City, city, oh, the city. Okay. So the city could come in and say, "Hey, you can't remodel this house without a permit." So if you're, you know, some cities require permits for like a water heater change. So you could have a city. So that's Mm -hmm. a good thing is check with your local city, you know, what is permitted, what's not, you know, if it's just carpet and paint, usually you're okay. Tile, flooring, granite, you're okay. But if you're doing anything structurally, or moving a wall or taking out a wall, you probably have to pull a demo permit. Just know what city you're in to pull the right permits where you're at. So definitely look into your local code and all that for that. As far as the HOA, no, the HOA, the only time you're going to contact the HOA, usually they're going to contact you. Your trash cans are out front. You've had them out there all week. Mm. (laughs) um your your face is bad your paint your paint is chipping the HOA is going to notify you and you're going to have to fix stuff right um that's pretty much what they do they're usually going to be the ones blowing you up yeah so I'm
0: assuming (laughs) you want to see what their particular standards are before you maybe make a decision on let's say some type of paint or a color that you may have or something well
1: you you can't paint. paint your so with an HOA you can't paint your exterior so you have to, almost like 99% of the HOAs I've ever worked with, you have to contact them, fill out a form, and they, even though you don't need a city permit for the paint, usually, usually, again, check, but most of the time we don't, but you need an HOA permit. HOA, uh, not a permit, but a, uh, approval. So it's like a form they email you, you fill it out with your paint colors and what you're gonna do, and send it to them. American. Some HOAs are cool as hell. I've had HOAs where I can email them, just say, I'm gonna paint the house this color, you guys get with it, and they write back yes, okay? And some HOAs are like, Took like for Desert Ridge, took two months to get approval to paint that outside of the house. And in Chandler, my house on Henry, I did, it took two like a day to, to do it. So it depends on the HOA. So again, again, my advice is it depends on what local municipality, city ordinances, city limit, like everything is verify. Like if you're an investor and you're a flipper, verify because you don't want a penalty. Yeah. You paint that house and you get a you get a, a letter saying you need to you need to fix this you need to fix this and you're being penalized. Like you don't want to freaking lean for twenty thousand dollars on your house because you didn't listen to the HOA. You know, so it's very smart to always consult.
0: Wow. Well, I I gotta say, obviously it's a lot to take in for anybody who's <laughs> listening to this for the first time, thinking, hey, I want to get into this. What's the step from A to Z? But, now, sitting and knowing exactly how you walk people through from point A to point Z, I think a lot of people, if you didn't scare them off, I think a lot of people would be interested because they understand this, as is, is complex as it sounds, it's not as complex as it sounds, right? You have to have some attention to detail. You have to have, you know, some ambition. You have to have, obviously, somewhat of a type A personality to want to have a hands-on sort of experience with your properties. Because- you're not gonna invest you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars into a project and not wanna be hands-on uh, involved with it. So anybody who's listening to Justin explain these things, this is real life, hands-on experience that he's had uh, actually flipping and remodeling and renovating these properties and all of the experiences that he's had going into that. So Justin, I appreciate you walking us through that. I know as a layman, as a white belt, uh, there's a lot of people out there who just needed to hear the 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 line, the story, the the entire uh, baggage that goes with buying a property from someone else, facing it up, renovating it, and then turning around and listing it. There's so many steps in between. So any other final thoughts you got for the people before we let them go?
1: Yeah, my final thought is, try to get a mentor you know definitely mentor with somebody because there's so many things like you could say i know what i'm doing like what oscar said on one of our second podcasts he's like if i didn't have justin to talk to you know would i've been able to sell my first house at the at, and make 50 grand you know would i be able to you know i really think it's a wise decision that you find a mentor uh especially in this business. And I think the smartest people find mentors to work with and people to work with that are more knowledgeable than they are. And not only do I say get a mentor for the first house, but I think it's a wise decision to keep a mentor for the for the fifth house, sixth house, seventh house, because until you've seen a lot, you don't want to be in a position where like you run into something and you just don't know how to get out of it. You know, there's situations where me and Adam have been through flips where like we've gotten out of the tightest situations and it's a wise decision to have somebody to help you and if you don't have someone to help you um and they're not teaching you and you don't have that mentorship you're just going to make a lot more mistakes you're going to probably cost yourself a lot more money um you may not lose money you may get lucky because the market's really hot right now you might build a rebound but long term to be a professional at this and to be successful at this you definitely need to have help yeah
0: i'm assuming that wouldn't be sustainable if you didn't yeah
1: I just think that the the mo- and even me I've had leadership and help and stuff too, but I think it's I had a lot more issues because I, when I first started I had a lot of I had a trial and error a lot of stuff, and if I could go back and not have those trials and errors and be you know super successful faster and make way more money faster, I would have done it myself. And if somebody would said, hey, it's a hundred thousand dollars to train, I might have not had the hundred grand right off that bat, but I would have said, hey, can I do a payment plan? Yeah. Can I give you five k a month for the next? Two years? You know, I don't care if I give you 140 If I can make a million dollars of this business, you know, how much do we pay for college? You know, how much do we pay to go to school? And so people don't get it that, like, business owners and the reason why there's so many, that's why there's franchises because they have a system that works and you pay for it and you pay royalties on it. But yet a lot of flippers, they don't have that mentality. A lot of real estate investors don't have that mentality. Like, I don't want a franchise. I don't want to, you know, sell. I'm not trying to sell flip franchises, but... There's a lot of people doing wholesale franchises and they're selling properties wholesale and they have franchises where people buy. I know a company right now, I can't name them, but they charge a hundred grand to just have their franchise and for real estate. Just the name. Just the name. And then they have like their you know their contracts, their paperwork and all that, that, that falls with. But they're a hundred thousand dollars just for that. That's not buying houses, that's not investing, that's not their office expense, that's just for the franchise. And then they have to pay fees on every deal, mm. okay? Um. So when someone says to me, 100 grand, that's a lot of money, I'm like, not really. You know, I mean, it's really not.
0: It really isn't. It really isn't. The last thing I'll say is, for a lot of people who think that is a lot of money, and he said, you know, he said it himself, if you were willing to make a, a, pl- a payment plan or you were willing to make payments, it shows your level of interest. It shows your level of, uh, uh, of commitment because you're saying, Listen, I don't have $10,000 right now but or $100,000 right now, but I could save $10,000 a year. I could pay you $10,000 over the next 10 years. And if you're serious about that, then you're serious about this business.
1: Yeah, you'll find somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody will take you out their wing. Absolutely. Um, and that's where I think is where there's a will there's a way. I mean, a lot of people get – I know um, there's a reason why a Ferrari and a Lambo are 300000 400000 500000 because – and they sell them. And they get them. Why? What's the benefit to buying a three hundred thousand dollar car? Status? You show off. That's one reason. It's fast. Beautiful. Another reason.
0: Possible tax benefit.
1: I mean, you know, it doesn't matter though, because I mean, a Ferrari is not really yeah. Like a work truck, obviously, you get benefit out of it, a vehicle, but they're not really a, a deductible asset, mm. right? That's not and if, you know buying a a, a truck over a Ferrari, but they buy the Ferrari for the status. Why do you buy a Rolex? You know, you buy it for status. This is a fact. Like, we buy it for status. Why would you buy a gold chain and say this is $300,000 in a rap video? Mm -hmm. Status, right? So we all want status. Like, everybody wants status, okay? Don't think that somebody on Facebook that has five kids – Looking, living in a beautiful house and takes a picture on Facebook of their whole family, don't think they're looking for status in that area. Look, I'm a perfect family man. Look, I got five kids. I'm a wife, beautiful wife. It's status, and it sells. And people, depending on what you're looking at, you're drawn to it. And so if you're willing to buy a three hundred dollars car and you're not willing to spend hundred grand in education, there you, go. there you go. And so a lot of people, I think my final thought is just Go out there and spend money on what you think is worth it. And if you don't think mentoring or you don't want to be a business owner or boss, you know, if you don't think mentoring is worth it, then you're not going to be successful. Go watch Netflix episodes and documentaries on successful people. I just watched one on DeLorean. Okay. He was at work for GMC for 30 years before he start, started a company. And guess what? He failed. He failed. He ran, he was one of the top executives at GMC. I watched it, but he failed. Running his own company. Why? Running your own business is 10 million times harder than working for an, an existing successful company. Because they already have the brand, the technology. everything. It's like being a rapper and having uh, Kaye West back you. Mm-hmm. You're going to be way faster, way more popular faster. Dr. Drake than than it, yeah. Dr. Then, Drake
0: co-signed all these people.
1: And- yeah. Yeah. So, you know, having the right mentor, having the right backer. It's going to take you to the next level. It's not, you can watch any documentary. There's nobody ever watched a documentary that's like this. I learned everything by myself. I made it all by myself. Right. I lost it all by myself. I made it by myself. Everybody, It took it took a village to train me. And it's not something that I learned. It got everything from one person. And that's the other beautiful thing about a mentor. A mentor probably has 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 other people they work with. Mm. Just look at their circle of influence. And you'll know real quick, real quick, if they're legit, because if you're not legit, you ain't going to have a circle of influence. You ain't going to have people that like you. You're not going to have people that have made money with you. You're not going to have anything. So look around and you know real quick what kind of person you are by the honorage that comes with you. And that's my final thought.
0: Justin Broker, always a pleasure. The education, the game, we appreciate it. Um, for any emails and stuff like that, you guys know the email address Justin Broker podcast at gmail.com. We got some guests lined up for you guys in the coming weeks. Uh, Justin's mentioned a few of them, but we will definitely have, uh, you know, some some pretty interesting guests for you guys to pick their brain, talk about different aspects of the real estate market, and just business positive mindset training uh, as well. So for Justin Broker, I'm Graydon Square. We will see you guys next week.
1: All right. Later, guys. Peace.